Good morning. It's good to be back with you again after a short absence. And thanks to Brendan for uh, taking over during that time and did a great job. Brendan actually started the lesson that we are studying today. Chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians are all about an offering. And you'll remember that Brendan sort of teased this week's lesson by saying he wasn't going to tell us who that offering was going to, and he would leave that up to me. So we'll discuss who the offering is going to that Paul is collecting and is uh, talking about to the Corinthians in chapters 8 and 9. Before we read the scripture, let's uh, take a look at the map here so we know exactly where the places are that we're talking about in chapters 8 and 9. First of all, Achaia is the Peloponnesian Peninsula. That's where Corinth is located, right at the bottom of the isthmus there that connects it to the mainland. We go up to the mainland and we find Macedonia. So at the time that Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's in Macedonia and he's writing to Achaia and he is encouraging them to complete the offering that they had started a year ago. So let's begin by reading through the scripture and then we'll go into our discussion questions. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 1 through 15. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me, and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, not to say, uh, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ 
and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your inexpressible gift, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that we have him as our Savior, that you have called us to salvation. Uh, we thank you for the wonderful growth that we have seen in this church for the last year, not numerically, but spiritually. And we thank you for that. And, and we look forward to this coming year that you would also continue to bless that we may grow as a church family. And Father, I pray that you would be here with us now as we go through chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians and we see what it has to teach us, not only about giving, but about the relationship of all of us as members of the body of Christ as we depend upon your grace to empower us to do that which you have given us to do. Uh, be here with us now and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to begin with our discussion questions that I sent to you in email. If you're not getting them, be sure when the, uh, when the attendance comes around that you make a note and give us your email address. Discussion question number one. Here's the thing that, that Brendan teased last week. What is the ministry for the saints about which Paul says it is superfluous for him to write? And I gave you three verses that you can look at that will answer that question pretty well for us. So who has the answer? What is this ministry for the saints? What is it? Who is it going to? It's going to Jerusalem. And these are the saints in Jerusalem who are in difficulty and who need help. And now Paul is collecting an offering that he's going to take back to Jerusalem. Here's 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, uh, where Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So this collection for the saints began in Corinth when Paul was there, and he was in Ephesus when he wrote 1 Corinthians, in Macedonia now as he writes 2 Corinthians. But here's the beginning of it, when they began to collect that offering for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8.10, And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it collecting this offering for the saints in Jerusalem. Romans 15.25, as Paul is beginning his return to Jerusalem with that offering, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So that's what 8 and 9 are all about, is this offering. But it's about more than that, because 
this gives us the principles for giving, but it also, I think, gives us the principles for all of the other work that God gives to us. We have, um, we know that the, the church is the body of Christ, and all of us are members of that body. Just like you have fingers and toes and ears and eyes, members of your body that are all responsible for the work that they do, and the body does not work well unless all the parts work and do what they have been given to do. So the church is made up of members of the body of Christ who have all been given God's grace to do some work for him in the church. When that happens, they grow, the members of the body grow, and the body itself grows and matures. And so I think we have a principle here, and as we look at giving, that we can see the full function of the church and how it should work. Question number two. The recipients of the offering will obviously benefit from the Corinthians' zealousness for generosity. I got ahead of myself. I answered the question. Uh, so this should be easy for somebody. The recipients of the offering will obviously benefit from the Corinthians' zealousness for generosity. But who else, in verse 2, in verse two, does Paul say benefited, and in what way? Looking at verse 2, who benefits from this generosity on the part of the Corinthians? Obviously, those who are going to receive the, the offering will. Who benefited from their generosity? The, the givers, uh, the givers are going to benefit, and who else? The, the Macedonians, because Paul says he encouraged them to join in with this gift by pointing to the zealousness of the Corinthians. And it was that zealousness, that eagerness to give, in fact, asking if they could join in and being uh, being very zealous about it, it was that that spurred the Corinth, the Macedonians on to join into the offering. So there was a benefit in every way to the giver, uh, to the recipients, but then also to other believers. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the way the church works. Uh, it, 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 in, a, in a way, the uh, it, it feeds off itself. It's a, a circular thing. As we perform the grace that God has given us for whatever particular uh, gift he has given us, whatever particular duty he has given us in the church, then the church grows as a result of it. We benefit, the church benefits, and those who are the recipients of our ministry benefit as well. Here's verse 2. I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Question number three. In verse 8, Paul says that God will give a cheerful giver all sufficiency in all things at all times. And in verse 11, he says that God will enrich the generous giver in every way. 
Is this an expression of the so-called prosperity gospel? Give more to get more. Why or why not? You name and claim it, yeah. Give to me so I can get a new private jet or a new mansion. Why or why not? And are these two statements qualified in any way? I think if, if we look at 8 and 11, you'll see there's a qualification for that uh, enrichment and for that sufficiency that God provides. What is it? He will make grace abound to you. Uh, and that's the purpose of that uh, sufficiency and that enrichment. You see anything else there? <coughs> In every good work. Uh, here's eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. The purpose of that grace abounding to them and the sufficiency that was given was not monetary or enrichment, but rather it was God's grace enabling them to abound in every good work. What about the enrichment that we find in verse 11? <coughs> You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This enrichment, they become generous in every way and God enriches them. He gives them grace to do that, but it will produce thanksgiving to God. Uh, those who in the church who are both the recipients of it, the givers of it, uh, those who are spurred on because of the work of the Corinthians wind up giving thanks to God. Thanksgiving uh, is, is plural elsewhere in this passage. It's thanksgivings. It's an ongoing thanksgiving to God. So that's the end of everything that we do in the church for God. He gives us grace for it. We give him thanks. The end of all things is solely to O Gloria. It is to the glory of God alone. And that is the that's the enrichment that comes from this uh, service. Here's uh, Romans fifteen, twenty-five through twenty-six. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And here's the final outcome of this that shows God's grace was indeed sufficient. Paul says for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Paul's now on his way to Jerusalem as he writes this in Romans. And he says, sure enough, both Macedonia and Achaia have completed this offering. And it's now on its way. <clears throat> In concluding his teaching about giving, Paul thanks God for his inexpressible gift. <clears throat> Many commentators 
teach that the gift to which Paul refers is that which is spoken of in the context, that is, the grace given to the Corinthians, or the good effect that was anticipated from their generosity, the things that we've talked about already. Do you agree that that is the primary meaning of this, this exclamation at the end of, uh, of chapter 9? Do you agree that this is the gift that Paul has in mind? Is it the benefit that comes from giving, or does he have something else in mind when he says, uh, praise be to God for his inexpressible gift? Uh, again, grace is a means of giving, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, because we're glorifying God in doing so. Jesus is God's inexpressible gift. Jesus is God's inexpressible gift, and uh, Calvin, by the way, interprets it the first way, and many other commentators do. They they localize it just to this passage. I think Paul has in mind what he said back in chapter 8. As he said there, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the inexpressible gift of God. It's the gift of his Son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And... We know that in the beginning, he was with God. And in the beginning, he was God. Uh, that is uh, inexpressible richness, isn't it? He was wealthy beyond uh, terms that we can understand because he was with God and he was God uh, from eternity past. And yet he gave that up willingly and took upon himself the form of a man he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him. And so he was rich, but he became poor. Now somewhere, Rick, it may have been in your sermon last week where you mentioned that, uh, that Christ becoming poor, I heard it somewhere, I just can't remember where, that Christ becoming poor did not mean that he was born into a poor family. Just because they were uh, having to stay in the in the uh, in the garage instead of in the inn when when he was born, it doesn't mean because they were poor. It was because there was no room. They weren't necessarily um, poor, exceedingly poor. Uh, the The fact that he became poor is his giving up that which he had in heaven with the Father, and humbling himself, condescending to take upon himself the form of a man. That's the poorness that's here. And it was by his poverty, that is by his willingness to do exactly that, to come as a man to pay the penalty for our sins, that we might be rich. Uh, and, and it's a wonderful, it is indeed an inexpressible gift that he did that. And, and we now have the richness of eternal salvation as a result of that. So I think that's what Paul is referring back to. And of course, this is the example that he's referring to 
to spur the Corinthians on to giving also. Christ gave this ultimate gift of himself, uh, and we should certainly give for the relief of the saints. Well, here's the outline. Three points. Generosity, first of all, benefits others, as we've seen. Secondly, generosity benefits the giver. And then third, generosity glorifies God. And as we go through this, we see the overall activity of generosity, of giving in the church and the effect it has upon giver, recipient, and the church as a whole. And I think this is true of, of the other things that God has given us as believers, as members of the church to do. Is it, has he called you to be an usher? Has he called you to teach? Has he called you to be a greeter at the door? Has he called you to be a prayer warrior? Whatever he has called you to do, he gives grace and sufficiency for the doing of it. So I think this is, has far more implication or teaching for us, teaching value for us, of the way the church is intended to work than just generosity of giving. So as we look at it here, the generosity benefits others. We talked about the ministry for the saints in verse 1. That's the ministry that Paul is collecting an offering to go to Jerusalem for the relief of those who are suffering in Jerusalem. Now, I think it's worthwhile mentioning that I think Paul had in mind here the fact that these were Gentile believers who were raising this offering and giving it. And the gift was going to Jewish believers. Now that's significant. Gentiles are giving for the relief of Jews. So I think Paul had in mind here the, 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 the implication that that would have not only to the Jewish believers, but those who were still in the uh, unbelieving Jews who were in Jerusalem, that maybe that would better the relation there between Gentiles and Jews because of that. Did it work out that way? What happened when he got to Jerusalem? There was a riot, wasn't there? Uh, Paul winds up being arrested. Uh, so at the instigation of the, of the Jews when he arrived there and went into the temple. So uh, I think though that, that that's worth mentioning, that I believe that was part of his, uh, his hope here, that the offering would have that effect. He talks about the readiness of the Corinthians in the first part of verse 2, and the fact that this readiness, this zeal of the Corinthians is what is stirring up the Macedonians to give. And so that's the benefit to the other, those others who are benefiting here in addition to the giver and the recipients. And then he talks about the sending of the brethren. Now, I think this is important because that's what, this is sort of what we do. For example, uh, I have been on a counting team. I'm not right now, but I was for years. And when we collect the evening offering, we would take it upstairs and count it. There are always two people with the money. We never let one person go off with the, with the money. That's for their 
protection and for uh, the churches as well. Uh, here Paul is sending the brethren who were appointed by the churches to travel with him to Jerusalem. And so, and with letters from the churches authorizing them to do so. He doesn't mention their names in chapter 8, but he does call, say that the one of them is famous for his preaching of the gospel, and the other one is one who is very earnest. And so we don't know their real names, but they have come to be known as famous and earnest. So famous and earnest, he's, he's sending along with, uh, with, with himself and Titus. Then generosity benefits the giver. He tells us that those who sow much reap much. Now, that's not only an agricultural truth. If you sow a lot of seed, you're going to get more crop. You're going to, you're going to reap more. If you eat half your seed uh, over the winter, uh, then you're going to get half the crop in the spring. So sowing and reaping are connected to each other, and so it is in this matter of generosity. Because God, he says, loves a cheerful giver. And then he talks about this idea of grace abounding in verse 8. God abounds in grace, and he gives complete sufficiency uh, in this grace. The sufficiency, as we have seen, is for the benefit of building up the church, for the benefit of increasing the ability of the of the believer to accomplish what God has given him to do. And then there is a purposeful result. Uh, it is enriched for every good work, and there is an increase in righteousness. So God gives the grace. We perform that which he has given us the grace to do, making us all sufficient in it, and the harvest is that of righteousness uh, that benefits, again, all three of those parties. And then the third point, generosity glorifies God. It generates thanksgiving among the saints. Those who are the recipients of this generosity know that God is the one who gave the grace for the giving of the offering and and their uh, receipt of that offering. And they give thanks to God for it. Those who collected the offering give thanks to God. God is thanked. God is glorified through the generosity. And he mentions in verse 13, this is an example of their confession of the gospel. Now, the confession of the gospel is not just what you say you believe, but it's the acting out of that. So this generosity and collecting the offering and and giving out of their ability to give more or less as they have the ability, it is a part of the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church. And look at the result it has in verse 14. 
there is a longing and praying for the Corinthians and the Macedonians on the part of the recipients because of their generosity. So there is an increase in love. There is an increase in prayer. The givers benefit as a result of this generosity. And then there's our verse in verse 15, the inexpressible gift that God has given to us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. So wonderful two chapters that tell us about generosity in the church and about the working of the church in many different ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson this morning about uh, generosity and about the, uh, the working of your grace abounding in the church, in the body, as we are enabled to do that which you have called us to do. We pray that you would continue to do that. I pray that, that it would continue to, to help us to fulfill the mission of our church, that is, to reach out, uh, to fold in, but also to grow up. And this is a part of the growing up uh, part of our uh, ministry here at Second. So we thank you for all of this. We pray that you would help us to keep this in mind uh, throughout the coming days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.